glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Let's back up, if you would, to verse 59. These two verses go together. It says, Then they took up stones to cast at him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, after he said, Before Abraham was, I am. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. Verse 13, They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind, and received his sight, until they had called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, here's our key verse, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Humor is in the Bible as well, by the way. I can just hear the conversation. He's frustrated. I already told you. He knew they didn't want to be his disciples. He's ribbing them. Verse 28, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. 
The man answered and said to them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is. And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. I would encourage you, if and when you have time, to look at this chapter and notice how many times the word know is used. Used over and over, and sometimes it's used in a deceitful manner. For instance, uh, when they asked, in this, this first instance, it was the truth, they asked the man, uh, What happened? How did you receive your sight? And he just gave the facts. He said, a man named Jesus came and anointed my eyes with clay, told me to go wash, I did, and I see. That's what happened. Then they said to his parents, is this your son? They said, and how does he see? They said, we know it's our son, and we know he was born blind, but how he sees and who made him whole, we know not. They lied. Their son had just said Jesus did it, but they weren't willing to tell the truth because of the price tag. Right? We know, they said, this is our son, truth. We know he was born blind, truth. How he was made whole or who gave him his sight, we don't know. And the Bible said they said that, not because it was true, but because they feared the Jews and what would happen if they told the truth. May I say this? We're in a war, as we have been since the beginning of time, but in our world, in our country, in our culture, we are in a war over truth and error. The world has become very skillful uh, under the direction of their father in being deceitful it is a time where if anybody's going to tell the truth, it needs to be God's people. May I say this many times? I'm just giving you some introductory thoughts. We are very much like the parents here. We already know the cost of standing with Christ and telling the truth about who he is, what his will is, what his mind is, what he's done, what he's doing. And instead of standing with him, we take a neutral position lest it cost us in this life. I just That's all free of charge. We'll touch on that again throughout the message, especially in the final uh, point, But uh, the man uh, speaking back and forth with the Pharisees, they say, we know this man is a sinner. Did they know that about Jesus? Here's how they made Jesus a sinner. They created a sabbatical law that he did not. And then when he broke their law, they said he's a sinner because he didn't obey us. That's exactly what happened. Uh, nothing new under the sun, by the way, right? Uh, these these self-righteous Pharisees who had vindicated themselves and said, we are righteous because we made rules that we make others keep and kind of do ourselves, not really. But anyway, they're really good rules and we made them and we have more wealth and more position and this than others and nothing under the sun. False religion has done what it always does. It It is a tool of Satan to deceive and uh, and to, to oppose Christ. Now, Christ overcomes each and every time. But the point is, they say, we know Christ is a sinner. That was a lie. We know not from whence this man is. That was a lie, too. He just told him, before Abraham was, I am. 
They knew, they just didn't believe, right? They knew. Sometimes we say, I, I don't know something, that wouldn't be true, and then sometimes we do. I point out the word know because the whole context of John 9 is about seeing or not. It's about blindness, spiritual blindness versus spiritual sight, illustrated by physical blindness and physical sight. There were men here who said they knew things that they did not know. We know he's a sinner. We know not whence he is. They were blind. They didn't know Jesus, the Son of God, standing right in front of them. And they said, we know he's a sinner. What they believed was true was false. They knew everything, but everything they knew wasn't true. Sometimes one of the best things that can happen for us is to realize that what we think we know, we may not. And if we know what God says, we know that's truth. But these men, Jesus said it so clearly at the end of the chapter, because ye say we see, your sin remaineth in you. Because you say you know, but you don't. They said that Jesus, they had already decided if anyone confessed the truth about Christ. They said if any man confesses that he is the Christ, we're going to put him out of the synagogue. Meaning the litmus test for whether or not you could be in that religion is whether or not you would believe a lie. And if you believe the lie that Jesus was not the Messiah, you were welcome. If you believe the truth that he was, you were not welcome. What a, what a religion to say the door in is a lie. And if you'll believe the lie, you're welcome. May I say this? Every religion today is built upon what they do with Jesus Christ. There are those, God, God's faith, the faith of his son Jesus Christ, that confess that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the son of God. They agree with God that Jesus is who he is. And every other religion agrees with each other that he's not. <laughs> that, that divides all religions really in the whole world. And so um, the spirit of Antichrist confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, either through birth or resurrection or his return. And so then uh, we find a number of times the word no used. Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. What you'll find with the blind man is every time he was asked what he knew, he was honest. They asked him, where is Jesus? He said, I know not. I don't know. I know what he did, but I don't know where he is. You know what? This man, I believe, had already received what is a picture of salvation, but he didn't even have all his theology correct yet. He did not, he could not theologically explain to you who Jesus was, but he had trusted him enough to be transformed by him. And he said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know one thing. He is the one that gave me eyesight. And you're not going to stand here and attack him in my presence and me stand by and not defend him. Now, this morning, uh, we need to take some lessons from this man that said one thing I know. Uh, because every time he said I know, he said, I, whether he's a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know is whereas I was blind, now I see. And when he takes Christ's side, of course, you, you heard the account. Uh, he comes to Jesus and Jesus said, believest thou in the Son of God? And he said, who is he, Lord, that I may? Do you see what this man has that nobody else in this account had? Honesty. Jesus said, do you believe on the Son of God? He said, you tell me who he is and I'll believe on him. And Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And the Bible says he believed and worshipped him. I believe this and this, the message is not necessarily about honesty, but the Bible does make it clear that the word of God has to have an honest heart to take root. And the world around us is anything but honest. It is. I told my wife this week, I said, it amazes me how many people are living their entire lives based on lies they've told themselves and believed. I don't mean unkind. I'm not, I didn't say it in anger. It's heartbreaking. 
people who believe that they are right with God and have never been born again, people who believe they're in fellowship with God, but they have believed lies and are living their lives defending the lies they've told and believed themselves. And if God's going to ever do anything in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ, we've got to be honest. And I tell you what the blind man was. He was able to see because he knew he was blind. And a lot of times the Pharisees were not able to see because they didn't realize they were blind. And that was really what took place here. So we're going to focus in on three things about this blind man who said, one thing I know. He didn't know a lot. He said, I, really, I don't know a lot, but I do know one thing. I know what that man did for me. I wonder today, and I'm not glorifying personal emotional experience. I'm talking about facts. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about facts. Can you say, I don't know a lot. I really don't. I, I'm not, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know how end times are going to wrap up. I know some things because God has said, but I may not know a lot, but I do know that Jesus Christ did something for me when I trusted Him. Do you know, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about an emotional experience. I'm talking about a transformation of your character, a change of who you are in your soul. You see, the new birth is not, it's not a prayer. You may have prayed a prayer, but it's not a prayer. It's not a rev, it is not a religious revolution. It is the work of God in the heart through His living Son. It is a legitimate, genuine event that takes place. And so then, The Pharisees knew nothing of that. Jesus had done nothing for them. Now, is that because Jesus is disingenuous and unwilling to help Pharisees? No, it's because Pharisees didn't need help. And so then let's see these three things about this blind man. First of all, his trouble, verses 1 through 5. Of course, his trouble is obvious. He's blind. That's trouble for anybody. Uh, In the Scripture, God, among all the miracles, we have a number of accounts of blind people being made whole. You have lame being made whole. You have blind, deaf, dumb, uh, dead people raised to life. But there's only a handful of accounts of dead people being raised. It's not as though that was taking place a lot. But blind, we have a number of blind people, the record of them being healed in Scripture, and this is one of the most notable. But in verse 1 of chapter 9, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, there's a man in John chapter 5 who's lame. You remember him? And the Lord Jesus, he was by the pool of Bethesda. And the Lord asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? And he said, No man has helped me get into the pool. I've been this way for 38 years and so forth. Jesus heals him, but when he releases him, he tells him, uh, If I remember correctly, to go and sin no more, lest a greater evil come upon him. Meaning the insinuation was that man was lame through something he had done. The insinuation in John chapter 5 is that the lameness of the man was not something he was born with, but something he came by, most likely, through some kind of a disobedience to God. Uh, 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 Reaping what he had sown. Sin has consequences, right? Uh, Yet this man's not the case. He's born blind. Well, the Pharisees developed all kinds of superstitious ideas about why people had things wrong with them. So if you were born blind, either you, and this is insinuated, it's, it's even spoken out in the text. Either you sinned, perhaps in your mother's womb. You sinned, and therefore you were born with blindness, or your parents sinned. Perhaps you were birthed through an immoral relationship or something like that, and therefore the blindness was an indication of someone's particular sin that they were being punished for. False religion always promotes superstition, meaning we believe things based on patterns, not on reality. 
So for instance, you drive down the road and a black cat darts in front of you and 15 minutes later you wreck your car. And you talk to a friend, they say, you know, it's interesting. I had a black cat run in front of me right before I wrecked my car. I think it was black. Oh, and so we develop superstitions like black cats running across the road in front of you. Not true. Black cats have no inherent value to make you wreck your car, have bad things happen. Well, hey, look where I came from. I grew up in the Appalachian Hills of Tennessee. Superstition is alive and well. They believe like this. You got something wrong in your life, you did something. Karma. We call it karma, right? You got bad karma, man. Look, Christian, you know, there is no such thing as bad karma. That's lies of Satan to scare people. All right? So, but that's what's called superstition. This man's born blind. Verse 2, and his disciples. Hold on, who's asking this? His disciples. These are men who are sitting at the feet of Jesus learning. His disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? As with last week, many times, bad questions get, they're hard to answer. The question is wrong. It's, it's based in error. From the word go in John 9, people are deceived. Is it above disciples to get deceived? I dare say it's possible that there are those in this room today who hold ideas as though they are biblical truth that are not in the Bible. I'll give you a silly illustration. But say, well, you know, when Eve ate that apple, I got news for you, she did not eat an apple. She didn't? No. It was some other fruit, and it wasn't an apple, or we wouldn't still be eating them today. Right? That's a silly one, but people say, you know, the good book says cleanliness is next to godliness. Cleanliness is good, but the good book doesn't say that. Right? Grandma might have said it, but the Bible does not. People get ideas from the world and they incorporate it into their discipleship. You with me? We get ideas that God never told us. It it, it affects our attitude toward people. It affects our attitude toward evangelism. It affects our attitude toward our discipleship. They see a man born blind. You know what? This is an amazing thing too. And I've heard another preacher say this. I don't remember who it was. But they, we have the idea that if someone has a, a physical handicap, it means they are entirely handicapped. So in front of the man obviously is sitting here. Lord, who did sin? This man or his parents? They're passing by him. Because he's blind, it doesn't mean he's deaf. You think that encouraged the man? Lord, we know somebody sinned here. He wouldn't be blind if somebody didn't sin. Who did it? (laughs) Isn't that the way it works? Something's wrong. We say, who can we blame? You know, on this one, and Jesus is not saying the man's not a sinner, and he's not saying his parents is not a sinner. What he's going to say is, because he's blind, it's not a result of sin. Uh, In the sense of, no one's being punished. This is not God's punishment on someone for doing something wrong. But the disciples believed it was. Meaning their philosophy was more influenced by lost Pharisees than it was by Christ. Can I use this this morning, Christian, to kind of call you in to check and say, check your philosophies, make sure you're walking with the Savior so that when we have an idea that's ours or the world's, He can say, you're wrong. (laughs) And we should bear in our hearts an attitude of repentance the moment He says, neither was this man nor his parents to say, oh, well, I was wrong. I always thought when people were born blind, somebody sinned. I guess I had that one wrong because the authority just said not so. Be willing to check your ideas at the Bible. <laughs> Amen? That's what happened here. The disciples, you know what? Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. When the disciples walked up on this man, what was their first thought? How can God use us to minister to him today? Who is to blame for what's wrong with this man? We've we got to find somebody to point a finger at and say, Whose fault? <laughs> 
Him or mom and dad? I mean, I just say this. Each one of us is born spiritually blind. And I'll tell you who's to blame. It goes all the way back to Adam. <laughs> and so, what, you know, what did your mom and dad do so bad to get a child like you, Nevin? It's just the way it works. <laughs> I was born a sinner because they were born a sinner, because you were born a sinner. And so then light has to be given and eyes have to be opened. May I say this? We are not born thinking correctly. You may be born with the ability to navigate this life just like the animals are. But spiritually, we are fools when we're born. That's why we violate so many Bible principles in the first years of our life. By the time we're five or six, we are violating our conscience intentionally. Shouldn't we know better? We do know better, but we're blind. We're blind. There are people today who are blinded uh, more than ever in this country. One of the reasons blindness is prevailing, meaning people think that they know something when it's not true, is because we've rejected light. That's a great deal to do with that. But anyway, back to this gentleman. His trouble is that from his birth, he was born blind. His blindness was misunderstood and misrepresented by those around him, meaning he was, he was by the disciples not viewed as an object of ministry, but an object of critique. Oh, Lord, we just want more knowledge. Who gets blamed for why he's blind? Not, Lord, you, you heal blind people. Could you help him? Do you find the disciples trying to get the Lord to help him? No, they just want more knowledge. <laughs> Tell us whose fault it is. And we're just like them, by the way. We preach about the disciples because we are. Verse, thir- uh, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Meaning, God has allowed this man to be blind to show what God can do. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Meaning, I'll take the darkness out of his eyes. I'm the light. And I'll take care of this. Let me ask something. Was there a distinction between the way the disciples looked at that man and the way Jesus looked at him? Jesus saw him as a project. They saw him as a... I don't know what they saw him as. A beggar on the side of the road to... Gain a little. They, they, in their mind, as I can see it, they're just passing by, just passing by. I wonder. May I say this? I, I'm I'm preaching, and when I'm going to say I wonder, I probably don't wonder about so much. But I wonder how many times when we see people, that is our attitude. Is just just to simply with an arrogant, prideful mentality, not say, Lord, is this a project? Is this a work you're wanting to do? Instead, it is, well, obviously, somebody did something stupid. We just don't know who it was. How many times do we get a disdainful attitude toward other people? Yeah, we do. How many of us have a right to have that attitude? If anybody could have walked by him and said, I don't have time for blind beggars, it would have been Jesus. But you remember, that's what he came for. <laughs> I mean, I say today, he did not see the man, by the way, he saw him as an opportunity to do a work. On what day of the week? Ooh, the Sabbath. I bet he forgot that, that the Pharisees were watching to see if he would work on the Sabbath. He had already taken care of that issue. That was their rule, not his. <laughs> Amen? And so then we move forward. The man's trouble. He was blind from his birth, misunderstood and misrepresented by others. Do not misunderstand me. Sin is not merely a misunderstanding or misrepresentation, but in this, this miracle, Jesus makes it clear the man was not blind as a result of somebody's sin. It made him a beggar. Verse 8 tells us, The neighbors therefore, and they which be, before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he 
that sat and begged, meaning he became somewhat of a, some would call him a leech on society. As so many of the crippled and lame and maimed in that day were, they had to depend on somebody else. This man was that because of his blindness. So my point is he had trouble in his life. He did not function as a normal human being in society. He had to depend on other people. He's a grown man, and yet he's near enough to his parents. They went and asked him, how was he born? Is this the truth? So the point would be this. He is not a normal functioning person who is adding to his society. He's taking away. We know all these things. That's troublesome. So he's blind from his birth. He's misrepresented and misunderstood by others, including Christ's disciples. He's made a beggar. But this is of most importance. He had Jesus Christ's specific interest. Had the Lord not taken interest in him, I don't suppose anybody would have. I mean, I say this today, and I believe with all my heart, the Lord is still interested in individuals that he can make whole and demonstrate his power through. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth uh, to show himself mighty on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. You know what this man had that nobody else in the account had? He had a perfect heart toward Jesus Christ. Meaning his heart was entirely and completely open to Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ could do a miracle with him. It's a rare person to find today with that attitude toward the Savior whose heart is entirely and completely open to Him and to His Word. Yet this man was. And you know what made him that way? You know, we ought not despise deficiencies in our life. Our our natural born deficiencies make us candidates for God to use. God's strength is made perfect in Weakness. May I say this without apology? The number one reason we lack revival is because we don't really understand how much we need it. God is more than willing to revive His people. I find that in the Bible. But the the key ingredient to every revival is humility. An acknowledgement of one's own neediness, one's own uh, smallness, one's own weakness and deficiency, not just spelled out in words. I hear the word all the time, we're broken, broken, broken. Yes, we are broken, but God did not intend us to stay that way. We are broken, and that's the truth, but we acknowledge that, that we might depend on Him, not on us. Today, many times, we're broken is simply an excuse to continue living in sin. That's not God's intent. God's intent is that we might recognize we're broken, and He is the repairer. The blind man had no problem listening to Jesus. How many people do you think took interest in Him every day? Let me say this about Boundary County. I've lived here long enough to know. Do you realize we have an entire culture in this county that flies under the radar? You don't see them on Main Street. You don't see them on the highway. Some of them are living very dark lives, and they're not ready to be saved because they love their sin. But some of them are busted up, and they have been since birth. And God is willing to take notice of them when we're willing to just shove them off someplace. And I'm trying to say this this morning. This man was of unique and particular interest to Jesus because of his blindness. His deficiency made him a candidate for God's strength. God does not need talented people. He needs people who acknowledge what we really, truly are. People who live in wretched, vile sin outside of the grace of God. Not a person in this room that is good in and of themselves. Not one, including the preacher. And we must acknowledge the truth that we are helpless, wicked sinners who need a Savior. We are blind, and if He doesn't give us light, we'll never see the light of day. 
You'll find in the Scripture Jesus helped people not who helped themselves. You know the good book says God helps them that help themselves. Nope, I didn't know the good book said that. Because it doesn't. The book, good book says God helps those who put their trust in Him. Amen? God helps those who are helpless. problem with Americans, we have too much money that takes place of God. We do with money what we only need God to do. We think we can buy a revival. Surely we can buy enough literature and make it nice enough to stir up a revival. We can buy a good church by getting a beautiful building. You can't buy what only God can do. Church buildings, I'm grateful for ours. God's been good to us. But church buildings do not put the power of God to transform people's lives, liberate them from sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that. You know what made the blind man a candidate? He was blind. And he knew he was blind. The disciples had no, they were paying no attention to him. He wasn't on their radar screen, but the Lord walked by. The only reason he caught their radar screen, as I said, is so they could figure out who to blame for why he was blind. Got a question. Why even ask that question? I feel the need to back up and just belabor that point just a little bit. Why ask the question, who's to blame? <laughs> Knowledge does what? Puffeth up. I, I may be off base, and I won't preach it as doctrine. I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. Because I know my heart, unless it's under the control of Christ, everybody there thought that somebody had sinned, that's why I was born blind. Everybody but Jesus. Nobody agreed with him. Everybody else had agreed with the Pharisees. Somebody sinned. But if you've got God on your cuff, God knew who sinned, and they had God on their cuff, didn't they? He's right there in flesh, wasn't he? So what I can use God for is to make me better than the Pharisees. They know somebody sinned, but I know who did it. You with me? How many times is God nothing more than someone we use to elevate us? Now listen, I wouldn't preach that if it weren't very clear in the New Testament that the disciples often viewed Jesus that way. When you come into your kingdom, can I be on your right hand and I on your left? They weren't concerned about his policies. They were just concerned about their positions. Are we not like that sometimes? How can I use my Christianity to get me ahead of the next guy? That was not at all the way the Lord was thinking. His thoughts are not as our thoughts and his ways are not as our ways. This man's trouble is that... He had blindness from birth that created for him a problem in society. He's a beggar. He's looked down on. He's he's on the lowest rung of culture. He's got to depend on others. Even the disciples looked at him the wrong way. There was only one person in that crowd that looked at him with a true heart of charity, and that was Jesus Christ. So then, the man's trouble. Number two, we see the man's transformation. Two verses. That's all it takes to to, to outline his transformation. How long has he been blind? Since his birth. Can I try to bring this home to our hearts? Is there anybody that spends enough time with the Lord and thinking about your own spiritual state to say, you know what, I have certain uh, spiritual characteristics and weaknesses in my life spiritually that have been with me as long as I can remember. Am I the only person in this room that has malfunctions of character that have been in my character as long as I can remember? Or has everybody, everybody else got it settled? We're all on top of it, right? Every one of us have certain sinful patterns. And they may not... What I'm talking about this morning is not the things you've done willingly because you didn't care what God said. I'm talking about the things you are trying to do what's right, but you see in your own weakness a deficiency of character. And you say, I don't even know when that came because as long as I can remember, I've had it since birth. 
those seem to be the hardest kind to solve. They're in your DNA. They're in your blood. Have you ever seen families and they tend toward certain sins? God talks about that in His Word. Meaning the sins of the fathers and so on. And you see patterns. The, the men of Ephraim had a pattern of being, of, of being uh, hard to get along with with their brethren. They were contentious. And it went on for generations through the men of Ephraim. They had great promises and performed little. They had great assets and did very little with it but complained about things. <laughs> that was a pattern among the Ephraimites. You may look at yourself and say, you know, i got certain character deficiencies. And if I can make them go away tomorrow, I would, but I don't have the power. Well, Christ does. But Christ has the power to not transform merely a man's appearance. He doesn't make a blind man as though he can see. He inherently changes the man so that the blindness is gone and now he has vision. Verse 6 says, when he had thus spoken. So they, they ask, who's sin, this man or his parents? This is how we know they're close. he's close enough to hear and it says, verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Alan, can I use you as an illustration? you mind? You'll have to take your glasses off. I like to spit in your eyes. Is that okay? You mind? Well, look how hesitant she is. Actually, I won't actually spit. I'll just spit in my hand and rub it in your eyes. Is that okay? No, I'm kidding. I really don't want to do it. Do you notice why she's reluctant? Same reason we all would be. No way. You know what Jesus did? He turns around. And as the man sees the mud spittle approaching, he goes, oh, no, he didn't. Why? I didn't see it. He didn't care. Jesus can do to him whatever he wants to. He can't see it. And Jesus takes that mud, and there are unbelievers and and foolish men who say, hmm, there was intrinsic medicinal value in the dirt. No, there wasn't. There was intrinsic medicinal value in his spit. No, there wasn't. There's intrinsic value in the person and the power of his word. He could have grabbed a leaf off a tree and rubbed it on his eyes. He can do whatever he wants. The point was, it's here for our learning. The reason that man didn't mind mud in his eyes, he never saw it coming. You know what? I don't know about you. I don't want to walk, walk around walking with mud on my face. I crawled under a vehicle the other evening. My head is full of dirt. I get up there and banging around. All the sand comes down. Ah! I get out and I got pine pitch in the back of my hair. I hated it. It's like, ah, I don't want to be like that. But you know what? How many of you think blind people go around with dirt smudges on their face? They can't see it. And you know what? The Lord put mud on him, not to make him dirty. The man had to know he has got mud on him. He says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. He says, I put it on you, go wash it off. It's a kind of an odd thing to tell him, but it's what he told him to do. The word Siloam means sent. Verse 7, he said, and sent him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Got a question. Does this man trust Jesus? He does. Without fully knowing who he is, he trusts him. Jesus with authority says, now one of the reasons I can't help believe he trusted him is the Lord Jesus just came to his defense. When he's being accused of either being a sinner, and that's why he's blind, or his parents have sinned, and that's what made him blind, Jesus speaks up and tells the truth. 
He says, no, the truth is he's not blind because his parents sinned or he sinned, but that the works of God may be made manifest in him. Do you think that man heard Jesus say that? He had to because the Bible says as soon as he said it, he made spit and put it on his eyes. He's that close. I don't know what all this man knew, but he's willing to trust the light he had been given. He had heard enough of Jesus' words to say, I'll trust him. And when Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he went at Christ's command and washed. Now, i got a question. What healed the man? The mud? The spit? The water in the pool? Or the obedience? The answer is Jesus healed him. The mud was a symbol of humility and a symbol of man's made from dirt, is he not? It's about helping us understand what we really are. We are low and made of dirt. There's a lot of symbolism there if you want to go there. But the fact is, this man trusted Jesus enough to act upon his word. When Jesus said, go, what happened to the man? He went. He said, go wash in the pool. And he did. And as soon as he exercised faith, by the way, faith that won't move isn't faith at all. Faith without works is dead. You say, I have faith and have not works, you deceive yourself. It's, James makes that very clear. Meaning works do not save, but a living faith will produce. Living faith will act. Someone says, I believe Jesus is the Savior and I want Him to save me. And well, Would you just simply call on Him and ask Him? No, no, I won't do that. Why? Well, I just I don't, I don't want to. If he, if he wants to save me, He'll save me. When he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to express your faith in Him. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And so then the man acted. He went to the pool of Siloam, washed, and came seeing. Here's what I want to point out. The initiation of his transformation. Whose idea was it for his blindness to be healed? I'm sure he wanted it, but who initiated it? The Lord Jesus did. Zacchaeus climbed a tree one time to see Jesus. He didn't know Jesus was already coming to see him. Right? The Lord Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Romans, I believe it's chapter 10, tells us no man seeketh after God. Man does not naturally seek the Lord, but God is seeking after man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Is that still true today? It is. Is Christ still healing? And I understand He healed physically blinded eyes, but spiritual blindness is far more serious than physical. And this miracle is here that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's still seeking blind men today who, who can't... They say, I don't know what's true. If you ask that man before Jesus touched his eyes, who, how many men are standing before you? Seven, nine, twelve, thirteen, how many? He'd have to say, oh. His blindness helped him be honest. Did it not? I, I don't know. I wonder how many times we would be better if we would just say, I don't know. Someone says, if you died today, are you going to spend eternity with God? To be honest with you, I have no idea. I know I'm a sinner. I know that God has no right to take me into heaven. But whether I'm going there or not, I don't know. Do you know there's a heaven? I don't know. Do you know there's a hell? I don't know. I really don't know anything. Good, we can help. But when someone who's on their way to hell says they're on their way to heaven because they're trying to save face in front of men, you can't help. Judas Iscariot, standing in proximity of Jesus on his way to hell, acted like he could see, though he could not. Oh, that God would help us be honest. He will if we will. I'll tell you this day, this man, because he was blind, could be honest with the Savior. And so then the Savior initiates this and puts the mud on his eyes. But I want you to notice the instance of it is, as I already stated, when he expressed faith in Christ, that's when he got the miracle. The Word of God was powerful to save, 
But faith, faith, you cannot have what God has promised until you exercise faith. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And I am just make this point to say this. There are a lot of blind people in Israel, but that one got healed. <laughs> Jesus made this point. In the days of the widow of Zarephath, he called her the widow of Sarepta. So there were many widows in Israel, but none of them got help from God except the widow of Sarepta. Why did she get help and none of the others? Because she was willing to receive God's man and God's word by faith. There were many lepers in the days of Naaman in Israel, but none of the Israelites got their leprosy cured, including Gehazi. But Naaman got his healed. Why? Because he believed God. He humbled himself and dipped himself in the Jordan River at the word of God. May I say this? There's many sinners in America today, but a lot of them aren't getting saved not because God's hand is short and it cannot save, nor is His ear heavy that He cannot hear, but because our iniquities have separated us from our God. That's why, because we defend our sin instead of being honest about it with Him. My point is this, if we would be humble and contrite, God could do miracles for us. It takes childlike faith to get help from God. Childlike faith, not intelligence, not intellectualism, not philosophy. Childlike faith... This man could not give you a theological discourse if he had to because he didn't know. What he didn't know is that man told me, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and I trust him, so I'm going to do what he said. Could you not, do you not think he could hear the love of the Savior when the Savior said, it's not this man's sin, nor his parents. And I've come, this man is blind, that the works of God might be revealed in him. Don't you think there was some hope in his soul that God was about to do work in him? I don't know of anything I hunger for more today than God to do a work in me and in you and in this church and th- some things have come full circle to where God's saying, it's not hard for me to do work. Not hard. What's hard is us admitting we're blind and need a Savior, need His power, not by might, not by, not by strength, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Yes. You know what has to die for that to happen? My wretched ego has to go to the cross and be crucified. Not us. Organizational skills, will ne- I'm all for organization, but it'll never bring revival. It'll never bring life back to our churches, nor to your spiritual state. It'll never bring salvation to a soul. Education, as good as it is, cannot bring salvation. Simple, childlike faith in Jesus Christ gives salvation... And it gives revival. That's all. Plus nothing. Minus nothing. Meaning when I act toward Christ as a simple blind man who's a beggar. Yes, some. Do beggars have a hard time receiving? They don't. They've learned they have to depend on someone else to survive. Now I'm going to tell you something. We often see a beggar and say, oh, those poor ones. Because we're physically okay, financially okay. But spiritually, if we could just see, if the Pharisees could have seen that they were spiritually what that man was physically, they could have received some help from the Lord. This man on this day did get help because he said, I need it. And when God said, here it is, go wash, put the mud on his eyes. The Lord put something on him that had to come off. <laughs> go wash, the man obeyed. And I want you to notice the immediacy of his transformation. Now, we have another account of a blind man being healed that gives us a different spiritual lesson. He, he could partially see that it was such a unique experience. Here, how long did it take this man's blindness to go away? The Bible says he went. When he exercised faith, 
He was healed. You know how long it takes for God to save a sinner? As long as it takes you to trust Him. He's the Savior. How long does it take for Him to open my blinded eyes where I quit being confused and I can see? As long as I'll trust Him like a little child. Just as long as it takes for me to trust Him is how long it takes. The immediacy, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm sure he had to learn how to, to live as a seeing man. He'd lived as a blind one since his birth. But I got news for you. His blindness never returned. From that day forward, he was a different man. He's no longer blind. They had to say, he's the guy that used to be blind. You know what? There's no greater testimony to the, the living Christ today than transformed lives. That's why Satan counterfeits the gospel. So that people will say they've been transformed when they've not. That's why he gets you to believe a false gospel that has no power, something, trust in someone or something other than the living Christ. That's why he gives false, if you're saved, he'll give you a false sense of how to live the Christian life so that your life does not reflect what God has truly and genuinely done on the inside of you because Satan is a deceiver, Christ is living, and he wants to project that he's not. And there's no greater testimony to the living Christ than a life transformed by the power of Christ. And so then, the man is transformed immediately. Finally, we conclude with his testimony. We see his trouble. He's blind from his birth, misrepresented, misunderstood by others, made him a beggar. He was of personal interest to Christ because of his trouble. His transformation, Christ initiated it. The instance of it was when he exercised faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The immediacy, he came seeing. It didn't take long. The power of Christ was able to heal him immediately. Verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. I don't want you to miss this. Did he have to come and tell everybody, I can see now? He probably did. But did he have to? Do blind people and seeing people walk differently? They do. Do they look different? You ever see an animal and he's blind? You know it before you ever wave your hand in front of his eyes. I can't even, I can't imitate it. Blindness has a different look. The blind person has a stick or a dog. They're alive, but they can't see. Don't you think when that man came walking like this, ooh, everybody knew something was different? Let me tell you something. When the Lord transforms you, no one has to say. You don't have to go around and say, let me explain. I'm different now. If you've been living blind and now you can see, it shows up. Amen? It does. It shows up. No one had to, he didn't have to give a deep theological description. He couldn't, but everybody knew he could now see. It was so clear that he was changed, that he was transformed. It was so clear that he was different than before that they said, it's not him. This is all a, it's a trick. There are people that have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what happened to our family member. What happened? They used to be a party animal. I can't get them to go to a party anymore. They used to be perverse. They won't even talk about dirty jokes anymore. They used to be a drunkard. Not now. I can't get them to take a sip. What happened? Oh, you got religion. I know nothing of religion, but this one thing I know. I put my trust in a person, and he has changed my desires He has changed my attitude. I can't explain it. I don't know how all to tell you about what he... You remember when you first got saved? How good were you at explaining Jesus Christ and salvation when you got saved? Now, for those who are saved when are young, often the transformation shows up later in life when God saves you away from things instead of out of things. 
But the transformation is still just as real. May I say this? It is just as much of a miracle for a third generation Baptist preacher to live a godly life as it is for a drunkard off the street. Miracle saving power is the same in every life. It's just manifested in different ways. I'm trying to tell you this. Uh, his testimony, when asked what happened, I won't read all the verses again, what does he say over and over? He says, you wouldn't believe the dirt around here. Get me other blind men. I want, to, I want to put mud in their eyes. Is that what he says? He says, a man named Jesus. A man named Jesus. He said, it all goes back to this person. You think the guy had ever had mud in his eyes before? You think he'd ever washed his face before? Didn't have miracle working power before, but when Jesus told him to do it, it healed his eyes. There's power in the word of God. And so then he, he explains before men repeatedly. You know the account. We read it before men. There's people, his neighbors ask him, who are you? Are you somebody else? He said, no, I'm the same one that was begging. It's this, it was, he was so different, they thought he was somebody different. He said, no, it's me. They said, come on, you're going to the Pharisees. We got this is, The leaders around here have got to see what's happened. Because the Pharisees, they couldn't do that. All they could do is tell why somebody had sinned for him to be blind. And that's all they could do. They couldn't diagnose and fix the problem, just... Blame somebody. That was it. So they brought him to the Pharisees and they said, Who are you? And he said, I'm the guy who was a beggar and born blind. And so how'd this happen? He told him, A man named Jesus came and he anointed my eyes with mud. And he said, Go wash. And I did. And I came seeing. Meaning, he healed me. And that's the mechanism he used to do it. But he did it. Oh, uh uh-oh. But it was on the Sabbath day. And they said, We don't believe you're the one. Until they went and asked his parents. And they said, as you've already, we've already been through it. Is this he? Yep. Was he born blind? Yep. How was he made whole? And i got a question. Why were the Pharisees asking how he was whole? So they could find other blind men and bring them to Jesus. Because they had already decided Jesus wasn't the Christ or they needed to repent. You see, their rejection of Christ had nothing to do with who Jesus was. It had everything to do with who they were. They had already decided we're righteous. And if he's who he says he is, we are in trouble with God. Because John came preaching to get baptized because he was on the way and we rejected John's baptism because we were righteous enough already. And so they already decided if he is the son of God, we are sinners like the blind beggar and we will not accept that lowly view of ourselves. So They rejected him. So you know how it all goes. But let me ask something. When does this man's testimony about what happened to him change? The first thing he says before men is, I was blind, I was born blind, but a man named Jesus came, anointed my eyes, told me to go wash. I went and washed and I came seeing. How clear was his testimony? Does it line up with the facts? Absolutely. When did it change? When his parents were put under pressure, he says, "Uh uh-oh, my parents might get kicked out of the synagogue. I'll modify my testimony a little bit. Nope. Every time he's asked what happens, what does he say? Same thing. You know, when you're telling the truth, your message is consistent. Before men, it doesn't matter. What makes you think you're righteous? Jesus Christ. I was wicked, bound for hell, and deservedly so. But God showed me from his word that he died for me and that he lives. He would save me if I put my trust in him, and he did. And he, he changed me from someone who loves sin to someone who loves righteousness. I can't explain it. I didn't transform myself. God changed me. Used to, I looked at spiritual things and I detested them. Now, I long for them. I can't explain. He changed me! That's what salvation is. It's Christ doing a work in the heart of a man that only Christ can do. And the man's message was consistent before men. Always. It was clear, consistent, but it cost him. Look in verse 33. If you back up just a little bit, we'll read these few verses and we bring the message to a close in just a moment. Do you think this man knew 
that there was a price tag for identifying with Christ? Oh, yeah. They'd already decided he'd be cast out of the synagogue. I'm not sure if he was allowed in already because he was blind. But he obviously had parents who were in the mix, and they would not tell the truth about Christ because of what it would cost them in their religion. And so they backed off. But this man, when challenged and been told that Jesus was a sinner, he says, well, this is a marvelous thing that you would say that he's a sinner. Did you ever hear of somebody opening blinded eyes? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing, and he begins to defend the Lord Jesus. The Bible says uh, in verse 30, The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that many, uh, any, a man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They're saying he's a sinner, and this man says, I won't buy it. Where's his loyalty? With the Pharisees or with Christ? Where's his fear? The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are. Bull is a lion. He's not intimidated by them. You know what he's concerned about? The truth. He says, look, I was blind. He came along and cared enough for me and had the power to do something. He did for me what no one else has offered or could do. And so I don't know a lot about him, but one thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see and I know he did it. And I'm, you're not going to tell me that man is not of God because he broke one of your man-made rules. I'm not buying it. Because Jesus did not conform to the culture that was created by those wicked men. They rejected him. But this man stood with him, and it cost him, verse 34, the Bible says, uh, in verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. Oh, there's that reference again. Why did they believe he was born in sins? Because he was blind. What was the basis of that belief? Their own superstition. So their superstition said, You are a lesser creature than us, and you're not going to teach us. Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. But who are you telling us? You're trying to tell us and teach us. We'll teach you because we weren't born blind like you are. It's amazing to me the excuses men find to reject the gospel. Isn't it? We develop a superstition, build our argument on that superstition, and then reject that gospel based on that argument. So they did. They cast him out. Now notice this. Jesus has been in the proximity the whole time. But when does Jesus draw near to him? Verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and he it is that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Can Can I give you something for so many of you here who are already born again? You know what it's like to have Christ open your blinded eyes or give you eternal life or heal you when you're spiritually lame. You have received eternal life. There is a blessing in having sight, but there is a greater blessing in having him close enough to see him. Don't lose me this morning. For many of you, here's our message. For many, Christ has already saved you or given you sight. But there's not the fellowship this man had. Do you know when this man had close fellowship with the Savior? Not until his identity with the Savior cost him some things. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I wonder, we've got to be like one of these characters in this account today. 
You see, this man, it cost him his religious standing. I'm certain it cost him somewhat of his fellowship with his family. His family took a compromised position. When challenged, did they know Christ had healed their son? Did they say so? Why not? Because standing with Christ meant the, the, the retribution of the world. And we somehow, because we're in America, have had the idea, and God has been gracious to give us a government that stands against persecution religiously, mostly. <laughs> and we've been blessed to get the idea, or we've, been, we've, been, we've begun to believe, well, the world is more friendly toward Christ today than they were 2,000 years ago. Oh, no. Oh, no. The religious lost today are as hateful for, toward the Lord Jesus Christ as they've ever been. If you'll say, me and Jesus saved me, they'll accept you. If you say, Jesus alone saved my soul, and only he is, is, gives me credibility and righteousness, the religious crowd will cast you out every day. When God gets the glory, the religious crowd can't stand it because false religion is created to steal glory from God. You with me this morning? But as a Christian, I want to ask you, what is Christ costing you today? What's he costing? It was not until this man was cast out of his religion, until he was cast out and some things probably broken with his mother and father, that Jesus came near. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. There is a point where, the, where Jesus Christ, if we're going to be loyal to him, he is going to cost us. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10 as we close. By the way, his confession before men was the same as before the Master. When the Master says, Dost thou believe in the Son of God? He said, Who is he that I may? And Jesus, of course, says, It is I. And the Bible says the man worships him. He said, Lord, I believe. He confessed the same thing, just with more clarity. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Matthew chapter 10 says this. And and you hear me preach this, but it is because it needs preached repeatedly and repeatedly, especially in our world and in our age and at this time in this country that we have as Christians, and I believe it's not us who've developed it, I believe it's our adversary, tried to develop a Christianity of low cost. A belief in Christ that doesn't cost me family, friends, jobs, money, or standing in the society. No such Christianity exists. If I have a Christianity that has not cost me in this life, I do not have the right Christianity. That's what Jesus said. Yea, that's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In John chapter 16, he says, If they've hated me, they will hate you. But may I say, do you think this man had any problem being loyal to Christ? Why? Because it was Christ who set him free. When you know and you can understand what Christ has done for you, you may say, I don't know of anything else, but I know He died in my place. I know that what He went through on the cross was for me. I know that He saved my soul and forgave my sins. And so my parents didn't do that for me. And my children couldn't do that for me. And my religion couldn't do that for me. And my background couldn't do that for me. But Jesus did that for me. When you can know one thing, when you know what Christ did for you, He'll have your heart. My question is, do you know it? Has He ever done it for you? I'm not asking, do you know about Him? I'm not asking, are you familiar? I'm asking, do you know that Jesus suffered for you? Do you know that as the living Son of God, He's erased your sin debt? Your friend, that's what endears a soul to Christ. 
This man's parents did not give him sight. The Pharisees didn't give him sight. The disciples, listen, disciples, I love you, but you didn't die for me. I love my children, but children, you didn't die for me, and I didn't die for you. Ah, my Savior died for me. It was He this morning that I thanked for suffering for my sins that I might be forgiven. I love my parents, and I praise God for the way they raised me, but they didn't die for me, and they don't live for me. Uh, my point is this. When we know one thing, I was blind and now I see. You know what he's saying? I know who did this for me. He was not enamored with what he had done for God, but what God had done for him. Matthew chapter 10. We'll conclude with this text. The Bible says, verse... Let's back up just a little bit. Verse 27. What I tell you in, the, in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a fire thing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Got a question? Did the blind man lose a life for Christ's sake? Oh, he did. He lost the facade life that everyone around him had been living. He lost the blind life for a life of sight. You know what? He lost a beggar life. And he gained a true life. Why? Because he was simply loyal to the one who had saved him. The question this morning for all of us, is that how I'm living? Am I willing to stand with Christ if it's going to cost me friendships? Am I willing to stand with Christ if it's going to cost me societal standing? Maybe a relationship? Am I willing to take his side? This man did without hesitation. You know why? He said, <laughs> well, the man's a sinner. No, I haven't got that figured out yet. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see and I know who did it. Listen to this morning. Who's got my loyalty today? If Jesus Christ doesn't, why not? Why not? In my Christian life, the, every turning point, every waypoint is marked by him bringing me back to this truth. I'm the one who saved you. Take up your cross. Follow me. Peter was told, you follow me, it's going to cost you. You're going to die a death that you wouldn't choose. And he says, what about John? And Jesus said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It was all about one thing, eyes on Christ. 